Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Bridget Legault leads the Rainforest Alberta movement in Calgary as the community manager and also serves the startup community through strategy and growth consulting services. She is passionate about growing the tech sector upon a culture of trust, diversity and collaboration and activates this work through strategic ecosystem initiatives, learning experiences, storytelling and community engagement. Let's join Bridget for another episode in her series of Women in Alberta Tech with her guest, Ange Pei. Take it away, Bridget. Hello, and welcome to the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast supported by Rainforest Alberta. My name is Bridget Legault, and I am the community manager for Rainforest down in the Calgary region. And we have been running a very exciting series featuring women in the Alberta tech ecosystem. A while back during International Women's Day, we had a riveting conversation with women in tech about their experiences in the ecosystem, a very um, celebratory yet transparent and honest conversation, which led us to wanting to continue it and uh, bring awareness to some of the experiences that women are facing in technology, good, bad, and otherwise. And today, I am very fortunate to be joined by Ange Pei of Vodo, and she's going to be telling us all about her story as a co-founder of the company. And so welcome, Ange. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. We're really happy, happy to have you and learn more about Vodo and more about you. So we're going to jump right on into it. Ange, let's hear a little bit about your background. We'll talk about Vodo uh, momentarily and what's happening with, with that company. But um, I'm curious, what, what is your background like? Where are you from? Uh, what was your upbringing like? And kind of what brought you to kind of the co-founder role today? Absolutely. Such a loaded question. But let me see where we can start. So um, I grew up in Cote d'Ivoire, so that's in West Africa. Um, grew up there, lived a little bit in Ghana, lived in Tunisia for a bit, and moved to Canada when I was 11. So ever since I've been in Alberta, junior high, high school. And then I went to U of C and got my bachelor's of commerce at, at Haskane, um, which was honestly just an awesome experience. The entire time I worked full time, I remember either like a moving company or like a warehousing company, like just did anything and everything to pay the bills at that time. And an amazing opportunity came um, where I was a summer student at ATB. Actually, that was like my first, I was like, big kid, big kid type of job. Um, I'd had other experiences prior to that because my parents, you know, owned, owned a construction company, they owned a U-Haul. So I had a lot of, I was like entrepreneurial, just being in those spaces and seeing them transact and like helping them with their business, but like nothing official, I want to say until um, ATB. So um, yeah, just such an amazing opportunity being a summer student there, but then transitioning um, as they kept me on post um, the, the, the summer term. Um, became a junior product manager, worked across data and AI, worked across customer experience. I was at ATP for almost four years, actually, which was hmm. one of the most amazing experiences ever. And um, then transitioned over to a company called Cement. Actually, Calgary, 
founded startup as well. Um, mm-hmm. Did that for about six months and decided that it was time to to do the full time leap into entrepreneurship. So I've been in this kind of world since I want to say yeah, since June of 2021. So it's it's definitely been a, a, an awesome career. I'm just so blessed to be to have worked in tech the entire time. No kidding. Um, and now it's just a transition into kind of a different framework. Yeah, I mean, you don't honestly, you don't hear this story very often in Calgary, at least of someone who, you know, directly from an internship at university, uh, hop right into tech and be able to work for some of the leading um, companies and technology in the city. So that's a really, really exciting story. Maybe let's like rewind there a little bit and touch a bit more on um, mm-hmm. what was your experience like at both ATB and Cement as, as you know, someone kind of right out of university and in, into the tech world. Uh, I guess, what had the most impact on you throughout that experience? You said it was awesome. What was so great about it? And like, what were the biggest kind of learnings that you took away from either of those companies or both? Yeah, that's a really good question. I want to say definitely at ATB, they were definitely working on some amazing things. Like I was part of like the robotics process automation group as a product manager and then over to AI. And I just remember with the group that I was working within, there was always a push to try new things and always, it was just such a smaller team. We were really, really close knit. And one of the biggest things at ATB, I think that really motivated me is like a lot of my leaders were, were women. And I think that was one of the biggest things I was just like, wow, like all these women are in, in, in um, positions of power, you know, allowed to just make really big decisions, but also the technology that we were using really was really like, forward facing. And I want to say like another thing is a lot of this was really to empower our frontline team members to really to help them to move more into that advisory space um, and work with them to say, hey, like, you know, if you're having issues with certain forms, certain experiences, how do we make that better using technology? So I want to say like, I just remember working in partnership with front frontline facing team members and really trying to help them. That was a really, really big deal to me. And yeah, I would say all the leaders who were women, like that was just amazing to me. That was another thing there at ATB. Moving over to, to Cement, I don't know for a lot of people on the call who don't know Hanif's story, but um, building the company and, and helping people who were at risk for defaulting on their bills, you know, that was also a personal story to him. So I want to say a lot of the, the reasons why things were awesome were the people that I got to work with first and foremost, and the technology second. But I remember at ATB, like, I just felt so inspired by so many of my leaders there. And that's honestly one of those things that I still take till to, to this day. Yeah, what a fantastic um, foundation and way to kind of start uh, your career in tech. So I'm curious then, uh, we've been hearing a lot about ATB through the series, actually, which is great. It's it's great to oh, have you guys. Oh, I mean, a little bit, I guess, here and there, especially with April Hickey, who had worked at ATB and also spoke to kind of the the support that women in the company uh, received. Absolutely. So uh, that's that's really exciting. And and I also find it really interesting, like that you went straight from uni to product to work in product, mm-hmm. because I find uh, a lot of students or youth and folks we've actually met at UFC through TechFest and other things. Um, product management isn't necessarily a career path that's obvious, I guess. And uh, mm-hmm. was it something you chose or or did it kind of choose you through the whole internship process or what did that, I'm just curious of kind of why the, the niche into product. Absolutely. That's such a good question. I, I definitely want to say, I think it chose me. 
And I think <laughs> a lot of the leaders with the different skills that I had and the different the work that I was already doing saw that as a good fit for me. I mm-hmm. think there's one of those things with the ability to communicate, but communicate differently to different types of audiences. That's really important. So how you communicate to your technical um, leadership versus your technical team itself versus, um, I want to say, people on the business side of things and communicating the value of what you're creating, but also going out there, doing the research, being able to like lead and, you know, communicate. I want to say, because my style of leadership is really servant leadership. And at the end of the day, when you really look at product management, it's really, you're in the middle of all of these amazing people who have all of these amazing expertise and you're really guiding them to say, hey guys, I believe this is the next kind of um, feature. These are the next things that we need to work on. And this is why. And, you know, trying to get them there, but knowing that they are at the end of the day, the experts in their own roles. So right. I think that's one element that I, I think kind of led me there. But you're right. I, I And at the time too, don't I, specifically in, Cal- in Calgary, I want to say like product management was probably on the newer side of things. So there right. weren't that many, I don't say tech companies hiring for product management role. But when you're building technology, I think the organization saw that it was something that was needed. So I do remember also being at the infancy of that, not the infancy, but like the early stages of product management, specifically within Calgary, which is like almost six, six, seven years ago now. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm fascinated by product management, actually. I think I probably should have been one in, a, in another life or maybe it's yet to come. Coming <laughs> but, soon. Uh, <laughs> coming soon. Um, I, I'm curious then, and we'll like just maybe do a little plug for, for product management as a career path for anyone listening to this, women especially, who might be mm-hmm. exploring product management as a career path. What advice might you give to women who who are exploring it as a career path, either as a second career or coming right out of university? Is there any advice that you'd like to share with folks um, who are looking at product? That's a really good, really good question. Um, I know that there's a lot of awesome kind of micro credentials or courses that you can take. Mm -hmm. Um, I know one is led by the folks over at Tacit Edge and in collaboration with yeah with um, Sate. So there is an element of you can go and you can kind of learn the practice at the end of the day. But I think if you have like a, I forget the, the, the um, piece that I'm thinking about, but um, if you have like a business background and you're able to create a business case, you're able to do the research, you're able to um, really look at the data and, and kind of deduce information from the data, work with UX researchers, um, for me, at the end of the day, is making the business case. Like, why are we doing what we're mm-hmm. doing? You know, are you able to make a strong, hey, if we build this specific feature, it'll increase people's time on the platform for 20% more time, which will result in, you know, X amount of revenue. So I think it's really being able to be close enough to technology, understanding it, understanding how the users are experiencing it, taking that information, going to do research with how other kind of companies are already doing that thing, and really bring a business case like leadership to really help them to understand the value of it. That's one part of it, but at really the next part is being able to write those requirements in a way wherein you're not um, telling developers and designers what to do, but you're guiding them into a path of saying, hey, people have this problem. This is what people would like to do. This is you know, the outcome of this amazing thing that you are going to build, designer, developer, tester. So it's 
it's multifaceted for sure, but the biggest piece is are you able to communicate properly to different um, types of people? Because ultimately, that's what it is, and that's what makes you a great product manager. So, right for people who already have awesome business acumen, really good communication skills, um, but I also want to say want to be close enough to tech and have an affinity right. for it and use it in order to be really good. I think those are kind of three main things that I would tell anyone. Right, right. And leadership, right? Like that, mm-hmm. those leadership capabilities. Fantastic. And shout out to Tacit Tash, Edge, um, Renee and Krista, because they have micro-credentialing as well as the program through SATE. And there's just uh, Product Calgary. Uh, so many um, organizations to support uh, product careers. And so, um, yeah, thanks anyway for kind of going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, okay, so um, this kind of really unique experience, you come out of university and you're like dug right into product in some of the you know most impressive companies in Calgary or kind of leading companies in Calgary. And now as a founder, so what led you... Uh, to Voto, is Voto your only your only um, startup? Have there been others, or or are there others? Well, Voto started as a concept called Conservo, and then we like look as it grew into Voto, just because the, the current that the initial concept um, was about concerts, and when we launched it was during COVID, and there were no concerts. So honestly, Voto is an evolution um, from the original concept. But that's Voto is really like my main thing on a daily basis. I also DJ every now and then and I do some other things on the side, but no voto is my is my my day to day, like my child. <laughs> our <laughs> child, I guess. You say our child, so your co-founder. Um tell us a bit about uh your co-founder and your relationship. How did you I'm always fascinated by how co-founders come together, find each other. Uh tell us a little bit about kind of that journey into creating conservo slash photo and and that co-founder relationship and how things have how things kind of were seeded absolutely uh so interesting enough my co-founder and i used to date <laughs> so that's <laughs> kind of how the relationship started so we we dated uh, for almost like five years so when um the concept of conservo when i started to build it um she was really I would say instrumental in kind of bouncing those ideas off because you come home and this is all you talk about. And at that time I was still in university actually. So it's one of those things where you're coming home, you're talking about it, you're super excited and you've got someone who's just as excited about something that you're passionate about and also has amazing skills that they can bring forth into the company. So I want to say like, that's how that uh, kind of co-founder relationship type started. Um, she's really fascinated by user experience and user um, interface design and so that's one of those things where we're like, okay, and she has a really great strategic mind. So talking about how that would fit into the ecosystem. And then we just start to like talk and talk. And the more you talk about something, the more you get excited. It's like, okay, let's actually work on this thing together. And at the time we had a third co-founder who um, has now actually gone back into corporate because uh, that was one, one thing that she wanted to do. She was like, I want to, you know, go to work. And she started right off the gate at a university, my the third co-founder went directly into entrepreneurship. So now she's like, I want to go back into corporate. There are things that I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. So that just left myself and my co-founder um, t- today t- together. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we met. And we've always been able to build great things together. So we already had that foundation of mm-hmm. executing on big life things already. So this was just another thing that we could add to it and really like run with. 
Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so tell us about about Voto app. What it, what is it about? What problem are you solving? Yeah, so the problem that Voto is trying to solve is uh, businesses are not getting the insights and feedback that they need when they're they're building something new. There's a really low low conversion rates on digital engagement campaigns, and that's so two to five percent. So meaning for every a hundred you know actions that a business wants uh, consumers to complete. Only two to five percent, two to five percent of them are completed. Meaning, you know, when you're getting people to sign up uh, for something, you're getting people to complete your contact information. You're wanting wanting people to buy something. There's a really low conversion rate on those things, and and what we're trying to do is, as we're trying to incentivize consumers to actually complete those call to actions, and the way that we incentivize them to do that is infusing charitable giving as part of the process. Meaning, we're saying, hey. A business wants you to complete this this form, um, and every single time you do, the business will will donate to a charity. So that's really trying to create uh, positive incentives for consumers to actually engage with mm-hmm. businesses and complete those really important call to actions, which ultimately drive some more leads, more um, more sales, and more feedback as part of business processes. Awesome. And so, where is the company at today? Are you are you in market? Or, you know, are you pre revenue? What where where are things at now? Absolutely. So we launched in December of 2021, and we've been so in market. We did all the way till now, and now we're at the stage where we're transitioning from our alpha software to our beta software, and so we're literally, I think we're close to finishing the prototype actually as we speak. So we're going to be going to a second round of customer discovery. I mean, customer discovery never ends, but um, second round of customer discovery so that we can start lining up people for the beta so that we can get people to to test the prototype, give us as much more insight as possible um, so we can get people in um, to the beta. So we have a working software right now, but we're really trying to focus Mm -hmm. on the next um, stage of the software and then writing grants things like that. So it's, that's a lot of, I want to say more um, operational things at the moment and more development. Right. Um, Are there any uh, asks or any kind of, uh, I guess, assistance or help that you're looking for from our ecosystem um, or the, you know, broader ecosystems currently with the stage you're at? Absolutely. So like I said, we're doing customer discovery. We want people to do, we're into people to do some user testing on, on the beta that we're about to launch. So if there's anyone who's within um, um, the event space, um, startup founders, which I know is a lot of your, your listeners here, people within nonprofits. So these are the people that we're looking for to have those conversations and do the user testing and as well as customer discovery. Um, so I'm going to say, I don't know how to plug the website here. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you probably have a mechanism after this, but yeah, for sure. So just join our, our beta testing. And so we can have those conversations and ensure that we're building something amazing for the people who we're building it for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll include that in the show notes um, for sure. So Ange, this series is all about women in tech. I want to talk a little bit more about your experience as a woman co-founder um, what unique challenges have you faced as a woman in this industry, either in your career in product management or now as a co-founder? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Actually, the one thing I can think about is people always being like shocked or surprised that you're a co-founder of a tech startup. Like that's one thing that's um, kind of always happened. 
I'm trying to think of like challenges specifically. Um, yeah, I want to say like people not expecting you to do what you're doing, which then means like probably you're oftentimes like overlooked when you're in rooms or spaces until you're on the stage or until someone introduces you as, hey, this is, a, you know, someone in this ecosystem and they're holding this role. So I'd say like, because there's not the expectation of seeing someone like me in these spaces, I think there's an element of surprise. I don't know if that's, that's, a, that's a challenge for sure. It's kind of fun surprising people at the same time. Slow <laughs> it down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like, is there any element of imposter syndrome or self-doubt? Um, we are running a, a program right now uh, called Rainforest Circles. It's a learning experience all around leadership. And something that I was quite, um, I shouldn't say shocked by because we all experience it, but I, I was I was a little surprised that every single person I spoke to in the program faced imposter syndrome in whatever role they play in the ecosystem. And of course, we all have our own self-doubts, but is this something you struggle with or or not? And um, and if not, that's fine too. Like, love the confidence factor. But I'm, I'm just curious because I know as women sometimes, especially in this sector, when you walk into a room and it's quite often, you know, 80% men, um, is it something you struggle with and how do you cope? Yeah, that's a really good question. Definitely. I think it's definitely something I struggle with. I think to being a woman is one is, is part of it. Another thing I think is the transition from the corporate world to entrepreneurship in general, mm. right? Yes. When you're in the corporate world, not only do you have the structures and the processes in place that you're fitting into, right. um, but you also have amazing people around you that if you're having these kind of struggles, you can just like, you know, turn to and talk to and they probably are experiencing the same things. Because um, I do remember just being part of, of those um, the, the ATB and Cement specifically, and a lot of the team there was also young, younger. So that's something like I would say, like with age, with the gender, um, that just comes naturally because we are in play, in positions that we're making big impact. So that's something that I've definitely experienced. Um, how do I cope with it? I, I think it's still a learning experience in terms of how to cope with it. But I think it's really being able to take a step back and really think about what have you done so far? Like, what can you point to objectively that you've been able to accomplish? And thinking through if someone else, if you were looking from the outside and you saw those accomplishments or you saw the hard work and you saw the discipline, fully affirming that you would be proud of the work that has been put into it and the dedication. And I think that takes a lot of work. I think like, Therapy is very, very important. I, I don't know how much people think of kind of imposter syndrome and anything that you're going through emotionally and mentally and the kind of impact that, you know, having good network, good friends and family can have because oftentimes it's really hard to see yourself the way that other people see you. So hmm. I'm, I, I think that a lot of those things for me, community mental health are things that I lean on to kind of overcome those feelings. But I think those feelings are natural just because of age especially for me i want to say and just there are not a lot of people who look like me so it it's like if you don't see a lot of people who look like you you tend to be like okay am i in the right place yeah exactly that's a really good point um i know you recently pitched at um the women bipoc pitch night um that innovate calgary through or you voto did you didn't your co-founder did voto did yes my co-founder <laughs> did and did an amazing job and, uh, and we got second place so that was awesome yeah it was, you, the, you did an incredible job everybody did that night and the um 
Innovate just did such a great job. It was such a lovely setting and vibe, a really supportive uh, vibe. Do you do much of the pitching or is that more on your co-founder? I think now we're two and two. Yeah, I think so. I've done two pitches. She's done two pitches. And that's the thing too, is just like, we're so different. We bring different things to the table, different strengths. And so it's really nice to see how we... She's definitely right now a lot better at it than I am. That's for sure. I think I'm better. Like <laughs> I'm not better, but like I'm more comfortable in like smaller groups and things like that. But she's um, a performer. I want to say at the end of the day because she's also uh, she's danced for over twenty years and teaches dance. So I think there's something with that art form being able to go on a stage no matter how nervous you are and still execute the highest level. So I mean, uh, yeah. So yeah. It's a, it's a two-way thing. It's really interesting how like those transferable skills from previous, you know, activities or hobbies or work that can lend into entrepreneurship. And I, I, um, I'd like to further unpack where, where you went with the kind of coming from corporate into the startup world, uh, because that is, you know, such a, a transition and, and such a different world. Uh, maybe let's dig into that a little bit more. What have you found, what have you found most challenging if there are folks listening who are maybe sitting in a corporate job or, you know, research or something and are thinking, okay, well, I want to jump into entrepreneurship with, you know, whatever I know or problem I want to solve. Uh, what, um, how was that experience for you? Where are you maybe finding challenges, uh, from that transition and, well, let's just start there. <laughs> yeah, I want to say some of the biggest challenges are definitely like it's lonelier on this side. I, I'm i a very social person, um, super extroverted. And I found that I didn't realize the impact of not having the people that I like on a day-to-day basis that I had around me and kind of the informal and formal forms of support that came from having colleagues and coworkers and so many different types of people that makes sense you know what i mean so that's one of the biggest things that i know that didn't hit me until a lot later and i think has had the biggest impact um so if anyone's thinking about making that leap just i mean that's one thing to consider um the other thing to consider is creating a path for yourself is very difficult. I think one thing that I remember or I learned from, from ATV is it's important to always have that North Star. But to get there, the gates, the phases, all the different things that you have to create are oftentimes you can have them and kind of put a stake in the stand for like, okay, this is phase one and this is phase two and this is phase three. But I think with mm-hmm. anyone who's ran a business, especially on the tech side of things, it never rarely are those phases or those gates um there i want to say ever changing so being okay with change but being okay with the fact that you have to make that change is like a whole different um it's a whole different situation so i'm and that's the thing i'm not trying to deter anyone from this world because i think it's like the best place to be (laughs) but there's definitely a lot of things that i didn't foresee as challenges that became challenges i mean the things that i thought were challenges there were other things that were bigger challenges and those were all almost on the soft side of things and the emotional side of things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Is there anything you would do differently Ooh. kind of knowing what you know now about entrepreneurship and transitioning from corporate? Anything that I would do differently. And I, I'm the type of person who, who believes uh, that we should embrace a bit of regret. Mm. And, and I, what I mean by that is to be able to reflect and learn right on past experiences and so um, 
yeah, I'm not one to shy away from like a, a regret conversation, if that's the right word. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a regret, but a reflection on, you know, if I knew now what I knew then, mm. what would I do? I think one is not being shy away from going after investment. And for me, I think for a lot of it is like, you know, what was really important was making sure that we built something that we knew had value in the market that people would pay us for first and foremost. And it's like, even after getting revenue, still being like, no, I think we need the beta before going for investment. You know what I mean? So we've been bootstrapped this entire time and we continue to be bootstrapped and investment is something that we're going to be seeking um, moving forward. But I now being in the, in the ecosystem, there are so many people who are pre-revenue, pre-product, who have landed enormous amount of investment. And I'm just like, whoa, I did not. Okay, that's how that's how it is. You know what I mean? That's something that I, I didn't foresee. Because to me, I'm like, I'm going to put my money behind it. And until someone pays me for it, I'm not going to bring in someone else's money. Like kind of being, you know, shy from, not shy, but adverse right. because you don't want to bring someone in until you're like, there is so much validation. Look at all of this validation. And just understanding that validation for a lot of different investors looks differently, mm -hmm. right? Validation can just be in kind of um, letters of mm -hmm. intent, can be in kind of, you know, interviews that you've had with potential customers and things like that versus the way that I see it. But I think it's also just um, different maybe values or different fundamentals of thinking about things and thinking about money and things like that. So um, that's the one thing that I feel like could have been different mm -hmm. with our journey. But hey, it's never too late to, to kind of yeah. go there. Well, and there's something huge to be said for retaining your equity and Absolutely. bootstrapping and, uh, you know, doing it yourself. On that note, um, are you looking to raise raise capital then? Now? I want to say probably within starting within like the next six months. Not We're not actively raising right now, but I know mm -hmm. what's important is it's like you're, you're dating someone for the first time. So it does take a while to even, I want to say like the vetting process on both sides and seeing if there's like a proper fit and seeing if like there's value in kind of working with us. Cause at the end of the day, like we're a for-profit company, but there's a strong and I want to say like strong lens, a really, really strong lens with the social impact that we want to create. Because for us, it's like we're trying to infuse as many call to actions or as many things on the internet for me it's like the vision is as many clicks and then having as many dollars donated per clicks is what we're trying to, to, to kind of reframe that model so someone who also understands and really sees the value in also being like a social enterprise and knowing kind of why we're doing what we're doing because at the end of the day like ensuring that there's a return on investment when anyone kind of purchases our software that's what we're rooting for like what we're shooting for and that's what we're mm -hmm. achieving but underlying and not deviating away from the social good that we want to create so i think there's a lot more um as a courting mm -hmm. that needs to happen there um but definitely open to having those conversations because we know it's a, like a longer process yeah on that um note i find social social entrepreneurship or social innovation kind of a a delicate dance in our ecosystem in particular. It's um, I've spoken to social entrepreneurs who don't necessarily feel like they belong within the kind of core tech ecosystem. And there seems to be a bit of um, 
resentment isn't the right word, but like the, the psychological safety isn't necessarily there for all social innovators. So I guess my question for you would be, have you felt included in the, I mean, you come from a tech background, so I guess it's a much different uh, scenario for you, Mm -hmm. but do you find your social mission is pushed um, investors or other conversations that you're having in the ecosystem? Do people push up against that um, social mission or social cause? And do they, do they push back rather on, on that side of your business? Do they criticize for it or is it embraced? Do you feel like it's some people see value in it? I think it's more embraced than there's pushback. I've had really little pushback. I I remember one specific conversation that we had, like we had pushback and the individual was saying, I don't think it's an, uh, it's an enough motivator incentive to get sales. And I was saying like, no, it's a big part of what we do is there's a giving back element, but there is the element of voting and ensuring that people are, part of creating and building something with those businesses. So mm-hmm. because there's the engagement part of things, I think people understand the value of engagement period, meaning don't just engage with people when it's time to sell them something, but engage with them when you're building something, when you're creating something, that's one element. Mm-hmm. The giving back for people, mm-hmm. I want to say, I was like, it's, it's, uh, I don't, I haven't heard a lot of pushback on it because at the end of the day, what we're trying to communicate is like numbers, Right, we're saying, hey, we ran this campaign. These are the numbers that we have. We have data to show that yes, when we did get people, you know, voting on, the, you know, the product or the service that was being launched, when you know we got the donation for every single time they voted, they did the thing, they completed the contact information. These are the numbers. This is like the conversion rate that we had based on our methodology. So at the end of the day, I think when you have the data and you're able to speak to the experience of what you've created. 100%. That's all you really have. I think it's like whether or not someone thinks it's like an adequate incentive or not, all I have is the data to show. So that's, I, I want to say like, if there's ever any pushback at the end of the day, like numbers are the only thing that like are clear and objective about the, the experience, especially in tech. Totally. Yeah. Data, data, data. Um, Awesome. Okay. Well, let's maybe talk a little bit more about supports that you've received in um, in the innovation ecosystem. Are there any shout outs you'd like to give to organizations, programming, resources, particular mentors uh, who have helped you throughout your path, uh, throughout your entire career and in founding Bodo? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many people and I don't, I hope I don't miss I don't miss anyone. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to give your Oscar, you know, thank you speech. But um, I guess who has who or what organizations, if you'd like to, if you could share with aspiring entrepreneurs, um, especially those who you know are inclusive and provide that psychological safety for various demographics to come on into the innovation sector. Who was really there for you or what programs really had impact? Yeah, really good question. Like Alberta Catalyzer has like a three-part kind of um, programming, I said like incubator program. And theirs was super awesome and super amazing. And a lot of just being in a space, especially during COVID, going into, I don't even know what stage of COVID we're in, but being in a room the first few, the first two uh, programs that we took with Alberta Catalyzer were remote, but even having the consistency in delivery of programming and like, you know, learning how to build a business and, and, you know, 
the different questions, the different departments really that you're dealing with that you've never had to touch before being able to like speak to those and know what to do with those are really important. Um, I want to say platform Calgary, just the fact that there is a space that you can go to as an entrepreneur, work from there, be around um, mm-hmm. so many different partners that are within the space who also offer um, products and services that help with your business is another amazing thing. So shout out to platform Calgary and a lot of the advisors that were on the Alberta Catalyzer program came from platform Calgary. So their staff is amazing. Their advisory team is amazing. Um, so shout out to them. Innovate Calgary, big shout out, uh, especially to uh, Jerome Morgan's leadership with, you know, being able to create, you know, um, programs like the Black Founders um, in, in Tech pitch, the BIPOC Women pitch. And I know there's a few different things that are coming. So, you know, those are amazing opportunities that have come our way that's really helped BBV, the Black Business uh, Ventures Association, that's another um, great one. Mm-hmm. It was, I think, Calgary Economic Coalition. I forget what what the, the full tag is now that I, that's completely escaping me, but they've been awesome. The folks over at Good Lawyer have been, like, super awesome. I think what they provide is such an invaluable service that, like, actually does not break the bank, mm-hmm. but actually provides... Um, value that you can clearly quantify. I mean, it's not just like a blur as like what you're spending money on. Um, yeah, some of the few that I can I can think about from like an organizational standpoint, I think like obviously specific people who I can think through, but from an organizational standpoint, those like the few that have been that have been super super awesome, especially in the city. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. I've actually never asked that question before, but uh, I, I like to be able to share those resources. We hear all the time, you know, there's so much happening out there that sometimes it's good to to just hear from the source, from the founders, you know, what's really making an impact. So really happy to hear uh, that all of those individuals and organizations are are, are having an impact on your team and Voto's uh, growth. So fantastic. Um I'd like to ask maybe kind of as we wrap up the conversation, uh, a question around um, what advice you would give to aspiring women founders out there who um, are maybe looking to start something of their own and um, being a woman founder and a woman in tech, what particular advice do you have for, for those women out there? Start now, like start as soon as possible. It's crazy. I I think, (laughs) On my end, the strengths that women have oftentimes are seen as weaknesses. The fact that people think we're like emotional, mm-hmm. people think like we're I don't know, impulsive. I mean, there's so many stereotypical nonsense that's out there about the way that our feelings and our emotions translate in our leadership style that I think that really, really needs to be like, dispelled and like so however more people we can have into the space to say hey i'm and also just like the fact that we're not we're not a monolith we all show up differently so my biggest thing is like start now that's number one number two reach out to people on linkedin like reach out continue to reach out continue to show up in these spaces i've made so so many amazing amazing um connections by coming to networking events, um, reaching out to people, being like super friendly and just knowing that like, I think a lot of us like downplay um, the strengths that we have and the experiences that we have. 
so my big thing is like don't downplay your wins don't downplay your experiences because you'd be surprised mm-hmm. by how receptive um, people are to the way that we lead companies and the way that we think of um, companies. I, I think at the end of the day, like I, we really humanize technology. We make it for like people. There's a different lens that we bring to the table that's missing, um, especially like mm-hmm. when I deal with like contractors, things like that. It's just like there is something to being soft being hard like the the different kind of the multifacetedness of being a woman there is so much value in that so do not take mm. what people are seeing as like a weakness as a complete weakness there's always room to grow but there is such a great strength in the way that we lead in the way that we communicate the value in the way that we build things that People, people need more women founders. So go out there, do the thing. Don't be afraid. And if you're afraid, know that we're all afraid. So let's talk about it. Let's have those open conversations about like, <laughs> you know, have open conversations about, yeah. um, I said like the great, the greatest conversations that I always have around like more so like our struggles. So don't shy away from talking about, yeah, don't, right. exactly. Don't, don't, don't shy away from being vulnerable. Don't shy away from that. Because I think as women, we all kind of, see each other and we see the struggles and we understand them so don't take what you think is like a weakness as something that is more so debilitating Mm -hmm. but know that you know there is room for you in this world and your leadership is is valued is welcome people need us and you know i don't like the data shows that you know female founded companies are doing right i don't say better but amazing so there you go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah that's better. what data says. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i really really love that i love um what you said about uh, that we humanize uh tech in, in in a different way and that really is our strength and it is so important to think about like you say some of these things that we might perceive as our weaknesses as truly our strengths and authentically live in them and share them and be vulnerable in sharing them, which I think as women, we're already, uh, we do naturally, but to normalize that so that it's not seen as, oh, you're being emotional or dramatic, but you're, you're being a real exactly. person. Um, <laughs> and you were all humans, right? And I'm sure men have, um, I know lots of men who talk very, talk very openly and vulnerably, but, um, you know, some don't. And to that note, I guess one last question would be, what advice would you um would you give to those who who are allies who want to increase kind of their allyship efforts in um, raising women, women of color, you know, and other marginalized groups? What advice would you give to the allies? Out there? Continue to create more spaces and opportunities for us. Like I think, you know, if we could take anything from Innovate Calgary's book, they really, really go above and beyond to create spaces that are just for us. Because I think at the end of the day. For so long, a lot of these spaces have been white, male dominated. So if that's been the norm for mm-hmm. so long, what does that look like when we have spaces just for us, when we have spaces that include us and opportunities that include us? And ultimately, don't just see us for, don't be tokenistic about it as well, right? It's like, it's like a proper mm-hmm. balance that you have to maintain. But I think the thing is, 
not just assuming that the white male, that's where the amazing founder is, that's where the investment should go, but consider that everyone has amazing leadership um, abilities, amazing execution, because it's like the planning and more importantly, the execution. But like being able to recognize as an ally that, oh shit, everyone has those skills and looking be beyond the gender and the color and just being like, oh, like, no, everyone is bringing something unique to the table. And I want to say for like investors, mm-hmm. diversify your, portfol- your portfolio is like the number one thing that, you know, people tell when you're investing in any, you know, in anything, don't just have like a pocket of one yeah. thing in your portfolio. So what does that look like to have diverse people within your portfolio, diverse people at the table, because ultimately when you're building technology, you're building technology for the masses. So as an ally, you know, if your technology is serving a diverse range of people, which is what technology is, have diverse people at the table or else you're, you're not fully seeing the, the scope or the yeah. vision of what your technology can be. You're just seeing like a what it is right now so i want to say like getting more people at the table because what you're building is for everyone so if you don't have everyone at the table i know it's really hard and then i'm not saying like just have numbers for the sake of having numbers but being able to understand that different people's experiences bring different strengths to the table and really valuing that outside of just hey this person is a woman no it's like this person is a woman has lived experiences that are different how might we tap into that strength and elevate that but also bring them along for the journey which is a lot greater when we have a lot more diversity at the table like it's it's way more fun that's for sure um so if there's anything that is incredibly impactful and i think a great way uh to close out the conversation so um best of luck we'll all be watching vodo cheering you on helping you out uh don't hesitate to reach out to the community for anything And um, it was such a pleasure continuing to get to know you and having this conversation today. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to Rainforest as well for the amazing work that you guys do. Awesome. Thanks, Ange. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Tune in next time for our series on women in Alberta tech. Thanks so much. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. Going beyond creating custom software solutions, NIM is dedicated to making a positive impact on society, providing opportunities for new software developers to gain real-world experience and contribute to meaningful projects. You get quality, affordable solutions at the same time you're supporting the growth and development of the next generation of skilled talent. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.